poor and the needy. And honestly, I believe it's something that we as a church and me personally have neglected for some time. Uh, We have not given it the priority that Jesus did. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to repent together. It's always better together, right? So we're doing that, and so this will be the third lesson in our series. Now, I have a fine young gentleman up here with me who's going to share right at the beginning here of the message for today. And I want to just sort of set it up by telling you, I'll go ahead and tell you the title for the lesson today. And it may or may not make sense to you, but I'll, I'll try to bring that home for you. The title is One, Not Everyone. And the reason I came up with that is that when we talk about a ministry to the poor and the needy, it's very easy to get overwhelmed, isn't it? 7.7 billion people in the world and counting, many of them poor and needy, just and, and it's just, you know, we, 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 we really can't, we can't fail to know these days. And, and some days, maybe in the past, you know, you might be ignorant. You might not really know how many needs are out there. But today, it's just so obvious. I mean, it's all over the news and the Internet, and we can just see it with our own eyes. I live in Pasadena, and the hordes of homeless people, who are all over the streets of Pasadena, where I live, and maybe it's the same in the community where you live. And so what happens, can happen, when you talk about a ministry to poor and needy, is that you sort of are paralyzed and overwhelmed by all the needs that are out there. And maybe you get depressed, and maybe you just get numb to it, and then you end up not doing anything. So there's a saying that I heard a few years ago that I want to pass on to you that I hope will encourage you and inspire you. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I believe that's what Jesus is calling us to do. We're not going to fix this problem. There's going to be poor and needy, and Jesus said that. There's going to be poor and needy until the end of time. But that doesn't mean that there's not something that we all should do that is significant and it makes a difference for people who are in need. So I asked Mike to be able to share, as we get into this topic, one, not everyone, because you may not even know about what Mike's going to share, but I know that for uh, many years now, Mike has done something with an individual that he has tried to make a difference in his community. So we're going to let him share about that. Dr. Mike Steffen. Uh, thanks, Reese. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I never uh, pictured myself saying that at this actually. Uh, so it's great to uh, thank you for the opportunity to do it. Uh, so back in the early 2000s, uh, my wife and I were helping out this uh, Hope, uh, Believe Hope Coordinating for the Church. And uh, once that didn't do set up, it actually only lasted for about a year, was this program where we were working with an organization called Best Buddies. Uh, Best Buddies is an organization that's kind of a global organization that's committed to uh, helping to meet the needs of the intellectual uh, development of disabled students. And often kids get a lot of resources, but they found when kids become adults, a lot of these uh, individuals are isolated. They really don't have any friends. And the only people really in their lives are 
people who work and helping them with surgery and then their families. So this is something that Kennedy did a long time ago as a part of his program. And so uh, one of the goals of developed friendships, and we thought, well, I can be a friend. We can all be friends. It's a family to be a friend. I, I just don't think you're a dog, but I can be a friend. And so uh, we did this, and about eight or nine of us volunteered, and the, the program was such that we were doing pastoral work well after a year. But my relationship with this man named Andy Spence has continued since then. Uh, can you say a little bit about Andy? Andy and I were born the same year. He's actually older than I am by about four or five months. He was born in May and I was born in November. So Andy is uh, 52 years old. Uh, Andy grew, uh, was born with a developmental disability. He doesn't have Down syndrome, but something similar to Down syndrome, where he can sort of function independently like he was a, uh, used to work at Vaughn back when he was able to do that. And uh, he kind of lived by himself, but always needed And uh, so why we set up the program was because we, we needed to do something. Uh, I kind of thought to myself, well, I, I guess I should be an example and do this. I wasn't necessarily feeling like I had any special passion about it, to be honest with you. I kind of thought to myself, well, this would be a little bit of a challenge for me. I've always had a hard time trying to relate to someone with a developmental disability. So I should probably do that. And the bottom line is we just said the prayer. So that's why I started. You ask me why do I do it now? Because Andy is my friend. And I'm mm. a few years further. You ask me why do I do it now? Well, because it's good for him. It's really, really good for me. Mm. Why do I do it now? Well, Jesus still says the prayer. So we used to ask me, so what, what, what did you get from it, Mike? And there's a bunch of things I wrote down about gratitude and how I'm feeling good and inspired and, you know, his family. Yes. Andy, I think to myself, I'm amazed. Like here I am, the same age as this man. And you know, I have a bachelor of arts. And I have all this. And Andy has this. And yet the only comparison I have is with him. There's no reason. Hmm. Am I amazed? It makes me want to watch sometimes. It makes me want to live. And, uh, you know, I look at Andy, and, and you won't ask me what I get from Andy. I see someone who's friendly. I see someone who's thoughtful. I see someone, I mean, he had the opportunity to do the work he wanted to work. I see someone who remembers people's names. I'm in the community. You know, his, his daughter is, is pretty well off in, in whatever city he's from. So a lot of people know Andy in Rocky Mountain and Rio, but Andy remembers people's names. I, I'm around someone who calls me consistently and I can call him. But mostly what I find as I'm around someone is a pure heart. I am 
that Jesus said, it's here in front of us, we got it. And I feel like I'm getting the opportunity to stay behind the camera because it's such a personal moment. Amen. So this morning as I'm preparing for this, I'm going to finish up here. Uh, I saw this book by Cindy Crawford of all people. You know who she is? Uh, so she's an ambassador for best buddies. And this is what Cindy Crawford said. She said, picture your best friend. Okay. Now imagine your life without that person. For people with developmental disabilities, the last thing is finding a best friend is only a dream. Best buddies is a lifeline between joy of having and being with your friends. To me, I never knew your sister. But you will never let that need to be Man. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Mike. You know, Mike is another one of the uh, fantastic examples that we have in our church here. And I'm so grateful for him and so many others. And I also want to mention, the uh, we've had this is our third sermon in the series. The second one was done by Marlon Shows. And I'm just so grateful I listened to Marlon's sermon on it. You know, you can hear all of our sermons now, not only online, but on Facebook Live. Thank you, Richard and Gina Alexander. So did you know that you were on Facebook Live, uh, Marlon? You were aware of that? And you still decided to preach anyway. And you did a fantastic job. I mean, I listened to the message. Uh, it was great. And I just say, not just that Marlon did a great message, but Marlon is one of the people that has literally changed my life. That He has inspired me by his example about how he cares for the poor and the needy. And he's continued to call me higher. Thank you for that, Marlon. Thank you for that, Mike. Thank you for others of you who do similar things. But I want us all to come together here in the ministry of Jesus. If you were here when I started out this series, I used Matthew chapter 4 and I highlighted that. And I used it sort of as a summary of the entire ministry of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus can be really, I believe, described in three primary things. One is that he preached the word to people who were lost in order to help them find salvation. Number two, he dedicated himself to a few friends, close friends, that he could work with and train and teach and have a personal impact on them so that they would be better Christians, better followers of Jesus. We sometimes call that discipling. That was the second thing we see Jesus doing. And the third thing that we see Jesus doing and sometimes we've ignored it, and sometimes we pretended like it wasn't there, is a very active ministry to the poor and the needy. And all three of those things reflect the exceptional love of Jesus that he had for people. And you can't really look at any of them, I believe, if you want to love like Jesus, if you want to live like Jesus, you can't look at any of those and think, well, this is optional, or this is something that's maybe a suggestion, 
or maybe it's a good idea. And that is just as true of having a ministry to the poor and the needy. Look over in Luke chapter 16. We're going to look at a parable today that perhaps you are familiar with. Maybe you'll be reading it for the first time. It's the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. I've already given you the sermon title today, One Not Everyone, and I believe this parable really inspires me to understand the significance of one, not everyone. So let's read it together here, right? Even if you've read it many times, let's try to read it and embrace it as if it was the very first time. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, You received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The parables of Jesus. If you want to understand the parables of Jesus, and they are, many people would say, the best short stories ever told, ever written. And they are really short. You know, when we talk about a short story, it's not really that short, especially the ones that you tell me. I've heard you. They're not all that short. But Jesus' stories are really short, pretty amazing, pretty wonderful how powerful they are. But one of the things to understand about any parable of Jesus, if you want to really get it, is that all of his parables have one main point. And that's true of this parable as it is with others. And frequently the parables, that one point, there is a shock value to it. 
And so that's true in this story. As it starts out, you've got this Lazarus character, and he's obviously in a terrible place. I mean, he's, he's a cripple who has a skin disease. And what else? We don't know. But he had to have his friends pick him up. They says they laid him at the rich man's gate. And he's got this skin disease, and he's not mobile himself, so the dogs come and lick his sores. Now, how many of you have dogs? And uh, if you have dogs, then you know that dogs will do that. And uh, I think, it, you know, we may think of that as a good thing or a cute thing or a, an expression of love. These dogs, though, in those days, dogs were not pets. They were not domesticated animals. They were more like coyotes, what we would think of as a coyote today. They were the wild scavengers who roamed the streets just trying to, to get a, something to eat and to stay alive. But he's there at this gate, and he is not able, even if he wanted to, he's not able to get away from the dogs that are licking his sores. And it's a pretty graphic picture of him. It says he was in such bad shape, not just with the cripple and the skin disease and all that, that he didn't have enough to eat, and he longed to eat what fell from the table of the rich man. And uh, that's interesting that you may or may not understand how that would work, but in those days, they would eat uh, a meal if you were like this rich man and you had plenty of food and such, and they would throw not literally crumbs, but little pieces of bread that they didn't want or that would, for whatever reason, they would just throw those on the floor. You know, they, they kind of ate lying down, which I don't know if you ever tried that. It's not that easy to do, but that's the way they did. Well, I think we've come a long way now, right? I prefer tables and chairs, but they would, and, and so they would just sort of leave it. And, and this guy, Lazarus, just wished that they would take the garbage, literally the garbage, that was uneaten by the rich man and his family or guest, whoever was there, that he could just feed on that. This rich man, it says dressed in purple, and you may know this already, but this was very expensive, purple dye, really an indication of really how, just how much money he had. He obviously had a very nice house. He lived in a gated community. So he had this thing, and they, you know, he basically feasted every day. And so the picture itself, when you get down to it, is perhaps not all that surprising. There's nothing shocking that's happened yet. But here's what the shocking thing is. Lazarus dies. The rich man dies. The rich man is in hell, and Lazarus is in heaven. And it goes on from there. But we need to understand, we need to put ourselves in the story and to be able to understand what Jesus is saying. Now let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that if you are poor in this life, you will just automatically get to go to heaven. He's also not saying that it's a sin to be rich. You've got to read the rest of the Bible. There's nothing 
wrong. Abraham himself, who's a picture that in this parable that Jesus told, was a very wealthy man. Nobody is ever condemned in God's word just for being rich. But you know what rich people are, have been condemned for? is because they were selfish with their riches. And they didn't care about other people and their needs. The shock of this story, if you really understand it, is that this man, we know nothing about this rich man. We don't know anything about how moral he may or may not have been. He may have been a regular attendance, attender at synagogue, and he may have, been, uh, have many strong character qualities and, and integrity. And, you know, maybe he wasn't an adulterer, and maybe he was, you know, maybe he gave to the, to the, to the local synagogue on a regular basis, and maybe he was always there at the, at the Jewish midweek. And, you know, maybe we don't know any of that. But here's the one thing we know that's the shock here. And it may even shock you today if you haven't thought about it recently. This man, no matter what good was in his life, went to hell, was judged by God because he did not care and reach out and serve and meet the needs of this man, Lazarus, who was laid at his gate every single day. Now, here's what we need to understand. There is going to be a judgment day coming. If you thought this was just going to be a nice, fluffy sermon today, you have now been re-educated. There's going to be a judgment one day. And uh, you're, not going to stay, you're not going to be judged by me. You can praise God for that. But you're going to stand before the Lord. And I suppose that there's more than one thing that the Lord is going to look at in your life when He decides whether you will go to heaven or you go to hell. But what this parable tells us, and sometimes we don't understand it, is that you could have all these other, but one of the things that Jesus is going to look at is did you live a life where you cared and you served and you reached out and you made a difference in the lives of the poor and the needy? You know, as I like to say, you'd have to be a theologian to misunderstand this. The point is clear, and it may be shocking to you. It is a matter of salvation. It is a matter of judgment. Whether or not you live a life where you, in the most practical, real ways, love enough to care for people who are poor and needy. We need to put ourselves in this story. You know, it's interesting, you may or may not know this, this is the only parable that Jesus told where a character is given a name. Did you know that? Lazarus. And the other guy in the character is the rich man, right? But I mean, 
He's given a name. And you know, we don't know why that he did that, but part of me thinks maybe it was because to help us understand that when we walk through our lives selfishly, self-absorbed, arrogant, prideful, looking down on people, thinking we're better than people, not caring about people, we need to understand that everyone that we treat that way, that's a real person who has a real name. And they got a real story, too. They got a story. You got a story? That homeless person in your neighborhood has a story. They got a name. See, the challenge for us is, for whatever reasons, maybe I mentioned in the beginning, maybe we're overwhelmed, maybe we get depressed, maybe we're just numb. But it's so easy to walk through our lives and not see the needs of people that we could help who are standing right in front of us. Now, we got to care about the poor people in Africa. And, I, you know, I will talk about Hope Worldwide and, and the, this wonderful organization that many of us contribute to and serve that serves people all over the world. And every dollar you give to Hope Worldwide, they turn it into $14 for goods and services for the poor. And we have stuff that we're doing in the poorest countries of the world, in Africa and in India and in South America, and in Central America, and Cambodia, and all over. We got, we got, it's a great thing, and I believe that you have a responsibility some way. You don't have to give to Hope Worldwide. That's a choice that you could make or not make. I'm on the board of Hope Worldwide. It's something that our fellowship has put together, so I think it's a great idea. You don't have to give to Hope Worldwide. If you need some help, persuade somebody to persuade you that it's a good idea, then just come and talk to me. But you do have to care about the poor around the world. You got to do something. You got to do something. But it's not just global. You know what else it is? It's in your neighborhood, it's in your community, and it may be somebody that's sitting at your gate. And if you walk by and ignore, the needs of people who God has put right in front of you. I don't know how to say it any nicer. You're going to have to answer to God for that on the day of judgment. So, well, if I'd known you were going to preach like this, I don't know if I would have come today. That's why the title, though, is One, Not Everyone. You need to make a difference. And you need to make a difference in your community. Not just around the world. This parable, it's not about heaven and hell. But most of the time, and what it's like in heaven and hell, most of the time when I hear people preach on this, and even when I read and study on it and I and I listen to what other preachers say about this parable and I listen to and I read what Bible scholars say about it. You know what they focus on? They kind of tear it all apart and 
and they're really fascinated by this picture of heaven and hell and you know what does that really mean you know this conversation he has there and there's a lot there so many times in sermons i've heard and in lessons and and, in studies that i've done they barely even talk about the main point the main point is that the rich man went to hell because he didn't care about this poor man, this needy man, who was right there at his gate every day, and he did nothing. That is the point of this parable. And if you decide to keep coming back, you're going to find, we're going to do some other parables of Jesus. This wasn't, Spoiler alert, this wasn't the only time that Jesus said how you treat the poor and the needy is going to have something significant to say about whether you end up in heaven or you end up in hell. So, I want to try to encourage you. I really do. You know, uh, when you look at yourself, and we have this ability to, we live in a world where we frequently are comparing ourselves to the people around us. In our community, our family, or you know, maybe in a church like this, do you ever look at people around you and you feel really average? You could be honest here. Thank you, Jeff. And maybe even you feel below average. And you feel like, you know, when I look around and I look in the mirror, there seems to be a lot of people that are a lot better looking than me. And when in my experience, there seems to be a lot of people that are a lot more talented than me. They have skills. They could do things. They can sing and they can dance and they can rap like Albert Roldan. <laughs> and they can, you know, do all this stuff and they could run and jump and all that. And you're like, I, what am I? I got, I got nothing. Does it ever seem like everybody else is smarter than you? Or most people are? For some of us, you know, we, we, uh, we don't have a good self-awareness, so you may not feel any of those things. A role model for might be, this is one of my, Zoolander is one of my favorite movies. And I just think it's a classic. And if you don't see it regularly, you should see it again. There's many lines I love about roulette. Well, one of them is, Ben Stiller playing the character there in Zoolander, and he muses, and he goes, did you ever think there's more to life than just being really, really ridiculously good-looking? <laughs> it's a moment of sobriety there, right? And so, you know, the truth is, there, in this audience, there are many of us who, if we were to take the population of the world, we are pretty average. But you know, there's one thing 
that almost nobody in this audience is, is average. You know what that is? We who live in America are among the very richest people in the world. And when St. Jesus says a parable about the rich man and Lazarus, you dare not check out. You dare not think it doesn't apply to you. I don't know if you knew this or not. I looked at, there's a, uh, you can check this website out yourself. It's called the Global Rich List. Global Rich List. So what you do is, it's very simple. You go on there and uh, you type in, basically there's a space in there, what is your average annual income? And it will tell you how your average annual income ranks with everybody else in the world today. And you know what you'll find if you type that in there? If you type in as much as $32,400 a year, if you have a personal annual income of $32,400 a year, which is barely above minimum wage for a full-time worker, you are in the 99th percentile of the richest people in the world today. You know what that means, 99th percentile? I, I, it's, it's just a fancy, I mean, I liked it, you know, in school they taught me that. That means in this particular area, you're better than 99% of the other people, the rest of the people in the world. You're in the top 1%. Now, maybe not everybody in here makes $32,400 a year. But I'm going to tell you, most of you do. And don't check out on me, teens. Your day is coming. The reason your mom and dad are pushing you, the reason your mom and dad are supporting you, and in many cases helping you to get to college, because they know they want you to build a life that one day you're going to be making more than $32,400 a year. And you're excited about that, aren't you? And you know what? When that happens, you're going to be in the 99th percentile of the richest people in the world. This is no laughing matter in this sense. All of us need to consider what we have and what we've been given. And you need to understand that at the end of time, that's what this parable says. You and I are going to be judged by how we use the resources we had. And it's not just our money. It's our time. It's our talents. How you use the resources you have to make a difference for people that are poor and needy in the world. After I preached my first sermon in this series, my friend Joel Landy texted me a quote from G.K. Chesterton. The quote is fantastic. In this quote he says, It isn't that we can't see the solution, it's that we can't see the problem. Lazarus was right in front of this guy every single day. You say, well, the rich man, you know, 
Let's give him some credit. He never forcibly removed him from his gate. There's no evidence that he was cruel to this man. There was no evidence that he mocked this man. But you know what the evidence is? He saw him or he didn't see them as we are prone to do. And day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year, he did nothing. Maybe you've heard this before. The opposite of love is not hatred. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is indifferent. And if you have anything that looks like a transformed heart that has been filled with the love of Jesus, then you will not be able to help yourself. Yes, you're going to reach out and you're going to love and care about lost people that you haven't even met yet. And yes, you're going to invest yourself and other people in the church and people that are Christians to help them and let them help you to be the best version of yourself that you can be, to be the best Christian you can be, to grow, to mature. And you know what else you're going to do? You're going to reach out and love and make a difference for the poor and needy in your community. So I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to give you one practical thing to do. You know, uh, some of you know all my sermons have one point these days. That's so I don't get confused. Maybe it helps you. It keeps me from getting confused. So the main point I've already told you is we're going to be judged by how much we have cared about the poor and needy in the world that we live in. And the one thing, the one practical thing, if you're not already doing it, like a Mike Steffen or like a Marlon shows, do something for someone. I don't want to limit you to just one. But do something for someone in your community, where you live, in your city, in your neighborhood. Do something for someone to make a difference. Do something for somebody who's poor and needy to make a difference in their life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this parable. It's a little hard to say that because it, it challenges us and it challenges us in our, our selfishness and our love for money and it calls us to think about judgment and heaven and hell, and those can be uncomfortable things to think about. But thank you for loving us enough, Jesus. Thank you for showing us how to love, exceptional love that you had for the lost, for the family of God, for the poor and needy. Help us to learn in this time to, to learn and to grow, to be more like you, to care about the poor and the needy. Lead us to that thing that you want us to do. If we're not already doing it, lead us to that thing 
in our community. Put that thing in front of us. Help us to see where we can make a difference. Personally, in our community. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.